You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. When you hear someone talk about blood sugar, you might zone out. That's because a lot of us think that it's only relevant to people with type 2 diabetes. But blood sugar is a topic that everyone should understand. If you want to feel good and have energy, you need to balance your blood sugar. Research shows that even healthy people have wild swings in their blood sugar right after they eat, and spikes in blood sugar make your pancreas work harder. They also make you older, and they put you at a greater risk for weight gain, heart attack, and stroke. Here's why I'm talking about this. Bioptimizers has a new product called Blood Sugar Breakthrough. You take two capsules 15 minutes before a meal. Your body will push carbs and glucose into your muscles for use as fuel instead of fat. That means you get stable energy and you don't have that post-meal crash. Better yet, you can improve your workouts and get better gains at the gym. But the biggest benefit is that it'll improve your overall health. Just go to bloodsugarbreakthrough.health for an exclusive 10% off. For 25 years, I've had a strong passion for understanding the science behind why we age and what we can do about it. One of the most groundbreaking discoveries in the last two decades is senolytics. Senolytics are plant-derived or pharmaceutical ingredients that can help your body drop old, worn-out cells. Scientists call them senescent cells, and in my books, I call them zombie cells. As you age, those senescent cells build up in your body. They live for a long time, and they eat up your energy. There is a hack for this. It's called Qualia Senolytic. Your podcast sponsor, Neurohacker Collective, created Qualia Senolytic. It eliminates those zombie cells and has a clinical study that supports its effectiveness. I really felt a difference in how my body moved after just a couple months on Qualia Synolytic. It's upped my energy level even more, and my joints feel really good. If you're over 30 and you want to use a clinically tested formula to help you feel younger, try Qualia Synolytic. To get younger now, visit neurohacker.com Dave and try it risk-free for up to 100 days. Use code Dave at checkout to get 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave. Use code Dave. Today's cool fact of the day is that, well, you've probably never heard of petrichor, even though you probably really like it. It's the smell of rain, which is actually the smell of when decomposed material like leaves is blown out of the soil by the rain, and it goes into the air, and it mixes with minerals. So petrichor, add that to your list of useless terms you'll probably never use again, but something you actually like. Today's guest on Bulletproof Radio is an author. He's a presenter on Sky Sports News and Sky Sports, and he runs a top-rated iTunes podcast called Zestology. Uh, Tony Wrighton's written three books with Virgin Books in 12 languages and has written a bunch of apps and audiobooks with more than 150 downloads on iTunes. And especially in the UK, you've seen him all over the place in the news. You might have seen him in Cosmopolitan magazine. And uh, he's quite an interesting guy. So, Tony, welcome to the show. Dave, thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm a big fan. I just want to correct something in your intro. You said I'd had over 150 downloads on iTunes. That's actually 150,000. I actually didn't say 1,000. <laughs> I don't think oh, so. But, well, um, I, I know, was thinking it's, it's, 100. It's, it's a pleasure to correct you. <laughs> I was thinking 150,000. All right. Well, thank you for telling me that. Um, wow. All right. It looks like I skipped a comma there. <laughs> so that, that's actually a substantial number of podcast downloads. Now, well, that's that's audiobooks and oh, um, okay. and 
app downloads. Yeah, not not podcast. Not a podcast. Which is which is more recent. Got it. So Zestology just started um, not too long ago. Yeah, Zestology's been a, been the last few few months. Awesome. Yeah. Well, it's hard to get to the list. So you did you did something right when you're one of the top the top podcasts because. It took me a little bit more than a couple Thanks. months just cranking these things out. Yeah, well, I'm a huge fan of Bulletproof Radio. And as you know, I um, flew over for the conference last week in Pasadena. Yeah, thank you for making the long flight over. Was it worth the trip to come to the Bulletproof Conference? Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, really inspiring speakers. But I, I guess probably the thing I enjoyed more than anything was just being able to connect with so many other biohackers, inspiring people, and realize that I'm not the weirdest one amongst all my friends anymore. Do you know well, what I mean? Other people are doing stuff even stranger than what I'm I'm not doing. so sure because you know, the real reason I, I had you on, aside from the fact you're doing lots of cool stuff, but I wanted to chat with you about NLP or neuro-linguistic programming where mm. you've been doing that for more than 10 years now, which is a topic I haven't touched on too much. I've had a few NLP practitioners on but never really zoomed in on it. And since you've written books on the topic, I figured this would be a great way to talk about how language programs the subconscious and all that. Uh, but uh, so you might be one of the weirder ones because you use language in a strange way. You just don't look as weird as some of the other biohackers. <laughs> well, that's the important thing. You know, there's a saying in NLP terms, there's nothing worse than a bad nlp <laughs> Someone who's trying to use the skills and you can tell they're being slightly weird with the stuff they're saying. But actually, they're just not being very elegant in the way they're communicating. I've seen a few people try and use it in marketing contexts. And uh, for people listening, NLP is is a way of speaking, and I'll, I'll try and define it well, and you can tell me where I'm wrong, because I've, I've read the yeah. books, not your books, actually. Mm-hmm. I should read them, but I read the original Bandler books on it. I'll send and, them over. And there. I found the original books to be entirely incomprehensible, but there's basically ways of speaking that kind of bypass, uh, bypass a lot of conscious processing. And when people use it, you can sometimes convince people to do things that they aren't really quite aware that they're doing. You can also use it to help people in a therapeutic context. So it's not a good technology or a bad technology. But when you try to use it to make people buy, you know, your your snake oil, it's totally not cool. And and I've seen that happen a couple of times with the nonprofit that I run. And you're like, look, you're not even good at what you're doing, <laughs> and it's not okay to be using those techniques to try and get people to use your stuff. Uh, so you could call it the dark side of using language, or you could actually use it to help someone overcome. Uh, a, a real problem that they're dealing with, like an addiction or just some sort of psychological block. So it, mm-hmm. How was my attempt at defining NLP, having read the book and not understood any of it from the original guy who wrote about it like 100 years ago? I'd give it a definite five and a half out of ten. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's essentially it's a study of how people do things okay. well. It's a study of how we communicate better with ourselves and other people. Um, it's how we can manage our moods and really how we can hack our lives to be kind of more productive and increase our performance levels. Um, you focused on the linguistics, and there are a lot of linguistics in there, a lot of linguistics which are really fun, especially when you use them on yourself, on that kind yes. of voice in your head. Um, but there's just, yeah, the, the, there's plenty more than, than the linguistics. Um, that's the reason that I got into it, because I used to work in radio, and I kind of, you know, I, I was interested in um, making my show a better experience for people to listen to and well, get them to listen for longer as well and get more listeners. So that's why I got into it. Um, but there are so many other um, facets to it. And I think, you know, NLP, it's not the greatest name, is it? It was invented in the 70s yeah. by Richard Bandler and, and John Grinder in California. Um, and uh, they came up with this name, and I, I guess they came up with it. I'm not quite sure, but I guess, you know, that's when computers started to take off. Computers were the new kind of in thing, and they wanted a kind of computery terminology in their phrase. But yeah. actually, I think something along the lines of, 
neurohacking might be more appropriate it, for this day and age, because that's essentially what it is. It's true. In fact, uh, either William Gibson or probably more Bruce Sterling wrote a whole book about uh, the idea of finding one sound that sort of unlocked people's nervous systems and it's just huge societal changes it made. So there's definitely like a bit of a science fiction computer programming perspective to to this idea that just using words mm. and, and gestures uh, properly uh, can have an effect on people's biology. And, and it, it's actually a very deep science. But what I, I think is interesting about your work is that rather than kind of mystifying it, which is frankly what I, I saw when I read the original books, I'm like, this is not sticking. But you were talking about what do you get from it? So it's one thing to say, look what you can do. You can like, you know, move A to B, but no one cares unless you say, well, when you move A to B, it gives you C. And so you're like confidence in a minute. That's one of your books. And relax in a minute. That's mm. one of your books. So you're applying NLP towards getting a benefit, which that is definitely hacking. And you're doing it in a minute, not like four hours of suffering, which is the old way. So definitely that qualifies as hacking. That's, and that's my real passion for it, actually. You know, I've seen how it's kind of helped me personally on all kind of different levels. Um, and uh, I mean, you're right about the original books, you know, Richard Bandler and John Grinder are brilliant men. And, and somewhere on the shelf behind me, I've got some of those, bo those books that you were mentioning. And they're actually out of print now. Um, Transformations is one of them. I think you pay about 60 quid oh, on wow. eBay if you, if you want uh, it, to. It's on my yeah, shelf. They're completely out of print. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, that's a collector's item. If you want to make an extra 60 quid, then get onto eBay <laughs> with it. Um, but I guess my passion is to kind of, yeah, demystify the techniques, show people how they can use them in their lives. All in, as you say, the books were all in a minute or less. Um, and also, you know, come at things from the slightly sceptical perspective of people who are kind of entering this world for, for the first time. You know, a lot of the people who kind of check out my podcast or my books might be viewers to the TV channel. And so this might be their introduction into a slightly different world of personal development. And I want to be... Um, firstly, very real about what I do, but also have that slight same air of skepticism about the techniques that, that they might. Uh, and that's, that's helpful for people because, frankly, some NLP stuff is pretty weird. You, you talked about you know, lots of weird biohackers. Um, there's people with devices strapped to their bodies and people doing all sorts <laughs> of strange breathing exercises and shouting like New Zealand rugby teams and everything else. But uh, um, some of the stuff is, is, if you've never come across it, kind of weird. So give me an example. Like, like like do, do use some NLP on me, make me relax. Just kidding. But uh, like, 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 show me how you would you would say something maybe to the voice in your head without using NLP techniques. So show me an ineffective way, and then show me a more effective way to do it. Mm. The, the way the way that you teach in your books. Okay, so you mentioned the, the voice in in your head, and that is something that is a real issue mm -hmm. for people, you know. And I think one area that NLP and self hypnosis and hypnosis in general can really help is when you look at the voice in the in the head and um, you change and improve its impact that it has on you. So when, when you're thinking about the voice in your head, some people have a, a really loud, distinct voice that is often not very kind and, and very friendly yeah. to them and, and not very helpful to them, especially when it comes to anxiety. Um, and there are loads of things that you can do in terms of that voice. One of the things we'd look at in NLP terms is looking at the way that you experience in the world and just changing it and hacking it a little bit. So with that voice, you might notice where that voice is. If, you, if you're someone who's got a loud internal voice, where is it? Is it in front of you? Is it behind you? Is it slap bang in the middle of your head? And then you might think about moving it. Try moving it further away. Try putting it over in the corner of the room. And then imagine that there's a volume dial on it. And obviously this takes a little bit mm -hmm. of a leap of the imagination, but it does work. 
and start to turn it down a little bit, just to make that voice in your head a little bit quieter. And then if the voice is something that, you know, can often be quite unpleasant to you or certainly cause you distress, perhaps look at giving it a, a completely different voice. So instead of it being you talking to yourself, give it the voice of Mickey Mouse or whoever it might be. <laughs> And notice how it sounds with those same words, that same internal dialogue going on, but with a completely Bart Simpson telling you what to do and, and how that changes the way that you perceive your own internal voice. So, so one of the things that your internal voice can do is it can actually say things that trigger your fight or flight response, right? It's a, so there's some dynamic there where all of a sudden you feel physical anxiety or stress as a result of what mm. your own voice in your head said to you. So what would you, so from an NLP perspective, the two things you recommended now is number one, get control of the voice by moving it around and then changing uh, basically what, what voice it's using. Kind of like you, you can do with mm. Siri on your phone. So it, it sounds like an Australian instead of an, an American. Uh, okay. Yeah, we, you can download a, download a sat-nav with B.A. Baracus's voice rather than... Can you really? Own. But seriously, I mean... <laughs> you, you just brought um, up the A-team, yeah, yeah. right? You know you're cool. <laughs> Is that the first time the A-team has been brought in, up on Bulletproof? In 250 radio? episodes, no one's talked about B.A. Baracus <laughs> except for you, Tony. So you've set a new record. Excellent. I'm pleased about that. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it, the other thing that NLP would really help at in, in that situation is the hypnosis element of it and, and this, the self-hypnosis. You know, I mean, one of the topics that seems to come up again and again on Bulletproof Radio, and certainly when I interview people as well, is having some kind of meditative practice every day, whether that is meditation or trance, or in my case, I use a lot of self-hypnosis. And the great thing about help, hypnosis is um, if you're someone trying to meditate for the first time, Often you'll feel like you're doing it wrong because you'd be sitting there and you'd be trying to follow the instructions, but your mind will just keep wandering off and you'll feel like you're not doing it right. You are actually doing it right, <laughs> but you'll feel like you're not. With self-hypnosis, especially if you use some kind of guided uh, hypnotherapy, like a kind of creative visualization or something that you listen to, or you go and see a hypnotherapist or a hypnotist, they will guide you into a different place. And because of the words that they're using, your mind is occupied and therefore it has less chance to kind of wander off. And I certainly had a kind of really vivid illustration of this a couple of years ago. Um, I'd been doing the NLP stuff for years and then this is the reason for the podcast actually. I went off to uh, the Philippines on holiday and I was in the middle of nowhere. It was a, a beautiful retreat in the middle of nowhere called The Farm I'm not sure, actually, I'm not sure you would have approved of the menu there because it was a vegan menu. Uh, you know, you, you um, can get, but, I used to be a raw vegan. I mean, you can get lots of good stuff. All you have to do is smuggle uh, some extra fat in there, just like a few sticks of, of <laughs> butter, and they, they won't really know. <laughs> well, I don't think this was because of the vegan, the vegan diet, but the first morning after I got there, I woke up in the middle of nowhere, and I had numb patches on my forehead and on my face. Oh, wow. Um, and as well as that, I had, um, I had a rash, and you know, I was like, super tired. I, f I felt like every bone in my body was hurting. I felt like my spleen was going to explode. Um, and... This all kind of came on fairly suddenly. So the first thing, you know, that I did was come home to the UK, get tested by a whole host of neurologists. And the first thing, you know, when you get numb patches in your face, obviously you might be worried that there's some kind of stroke symptoms. And thankfully that was okay. Um, and as it went on, I went, I saw so many doctors and so many specialists and neurologists and they couldn't give me any reason. They told me I'd contracted some kind of virus that I was experiencing some kind of post-viral fatigue. Oh. But beyond that, they couldn't really help, you know. 
Um, and I spent three months in bed. Sky Sport couldn't go into Sky Sports, couldn't couldn't really do anything. And they were very understanding, but they kind of ring up each week and say, "You getting better?" And I'd say, oh, "Not quite, but wow. I'll let you know when I am." So, doing what did you do? And yeah. that's a pretty serious thing. Mm. Well, NLP and hypnosis helped massively because I think what what had happened, I still don't really have a diagnosis. It was kind of glandular fever like symptoms, but I don't really know. But the NLP and the hypnosis really helped because I what happened is I kind of tipped myself over the edge adrenally, I think. And I was just in a permanent state of fight or flight. And having been, you know, someone who was a bit of a kind of type A personality in the first place, as I think many biohackers probably many, you know, listeners to your podcast are There's people who kind of really like control over their lives and like to excel. Um, being out of control and not having a diagnosis just led me to kind of, you know, consult Dr. Google on a regular basis and kind of massively elevate, elevate myself into fight or flight. So I started using loads of the hypnosis to kind of get myself down into um, the alpha state. And that really started to help. It wasn't the only thing that helped, but it was the principal thing that helped. Um, and uh, did loads of other stuff along the way, uh, uh, like uh, yoga and actually EFT, which was probably the most helpful thing wow. that I've kind of never discovered before. Yeah, I know you've had a few EFT. Yeah, but still define it for people listening who haven't heard of EFT before. Tell me about that. Um, well, you, you might have heard, it, heard of it as tapping. Mm-hmm. Um, it's emotional freedom therapy, and you tap on various meridian points around the body um, to release emotion, which is particularly helpful, Dave, if you're a slightly repressed British male <laughs> who's, who's not used to expressing his emotion. You know, that's what, that's what Americans and Canadians always say about us Brits, that we're not very good at expressing emotion. I, I was actually going to say, is there um, any other kind of, of British male? That... <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're not all as bad as Hugh Grant. But, um, <laughs> so that was, I mean, that was so helpful for me. And um, I stumbled upon it by accident, really, because I found someone in the UK who specializes in NLP, EFT and fatigue and within 10 minutes of having gone to see him firstly was in floods of tears and all this kind of emotion was coming out and secondly I knew it was okay so that's I I mean that's been a real kind of profound discovery for me and I'm actually training in in EFT now as well not not because I want to practice it with other people but just because I know what an impact it's had on me alongside the NLP So I'd love to know. So see more. now, like half the Americans listening are like, "Oh man, this guy broke down into tears. What the heck?" But but here's the thing: like yeah. your body stores emotions that are not in your head that don't make any sense whatsoever, right? And if you use a technique like tapping, uh, and you, you do this, uh, I think we, we've had uh, the guys who made the tapping solution on on the show, mm. and you, you do this, and it, it just sounds weird. In fact, it's it's it sounds as scammy as possible. Except there's really nothing that you're buying. It's just people are like, well, this kind of worked. And it does make sense that, well, if, if you assume that, that emotions that you're not conscious of are stored in the body, which is not an unreasonable assumption, like we know there's a mind-body connection, and if, if that might be true, then tapping on certain spots could have an effect. And then when you try it, you're like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, like something happened there. Um, heck, yeah, uh, it would make sense. So then what you are perceiving as a major problem, the body can like let go of some of the fear that's associated with the pain, and all of a sudden you perform better. Um, are your symptoms all the way gone, or are you just kind of like living with them, but they don't hold you back now? Um, mostly, but not all. I still get the occasional numb patch on my face. Um, I, I look after my energy levels a lot, a lot more than before. But I'm used to the, 
to the to the numb patches now and at one point they kind of spread to my you know my hands and my feet as well and actually the rest of my body too apart from that everyone's everything's kind of pretty much okay but you know having a much more kind of increased awareness of my energy levels is is, is definitely one of the things that's kind of arisen from that and then you know I, I guess my interest in biohacking I was doing it before that before I got ill in the jungle but that's been taken to a new level I love trying, you know, different supplements and um, uh, different lifestyle hacks to in- improve my energy and well-being levels. And I think that ties in with NLP really well, actually, because one of the definitions of NLP is doing what works. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, it's just a study of how people do things well. Um, and in terms of uh, kind of quantified self and tracking one's progress and, and tracking what works for me, once I started to do a bit of biohacking, but then make really quite detailed notes, yeah. you know, spreadsheet notes of um, what supplements I'm taking. Am I meditating that day? Um, did I switch off my phone for a couple of hours and get outside? What exercise did I do? How long did I sleep for? And then things that might not have an absolute quantifiable value, but I can give a value like what were my energy levels out of 10? And how was my stomach out of 10? And how happy did I feel out of 10? And noticing the correlations between different things. I think that that's a kind of natural extent extension of NLP into a kind of technical technological age, and it's been really fun playing with that stuff. It it sounds uh, a little dorky to some people listening, but it is is absolutely <laughs> fun. Uh, and if you over analyze it or you over collect the data, you can spend like all your time. Now you're playing the skeptical type that, that I do with the NLP <laughs> stuff. <laughs> well, okay, even if you think this is a bit skeptical, yeah, give it, it a go. It, it's <laughs> true, right? I, I've been to the point where like, oh my god measuring what I, all the supplements I take, I have, I used to do all these amazing spreadsheets and I realized over time that the supplements you take ought to match what you're doing that day, right? Did I get not that much sleep last night? Am I going to lift heavy or something today? Like, am I going to work out a lot? That changes what you need to do for your adrenals. Uh, Was I exposed Mm -hmm. to more toxins? And yeah, actually you can tell when you're exposed to more toxins because they create little sensations in the body that are absolutely predictable and repeatable. So if you know all these things, you would change what you take, just like you wouldn't eat exactly the same amount of calories every day or exactly the same food every day. So I finally stopped tracking uh, most supplements. Like I, I track a few of them, the ones that I'm looking for specific effects. But for the most part, I'm like, I've taken this for 10 years. I know exactly what it does, right? And so that goes off the spreadsheet. Um, and I, I know how many bottles of it I buy, so I know my average intake, but my daily intake now. But when you get it to the point where you're tracking what you're hacking, I, I, it's actually great fun because you realize, wow, I had an amazing day today. Why? And then you get to play detective instead of just what most people believe, which is like, I had a good day or a bad day today. It was just random. I have mm-hmm. no control. I have yeah. no knowledge. It, it's totally not like that. Like you're in charge of every food craving you ever had, right? That's, I mean, that's exactly right. And it's, um, you realize how hit and miss it is before you start tracking stuff. And you did a great presentation at the Bulletproof Conference, which I really enjoyed, which was the effect of different factors on your sleep quality. Well, um, that was the one, you and, know, 900 uh, days of data behind it, right? Right, tracked it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, which I, I don't have 900 days of data, but I was watching that thinking, wow, I, I could do the same with my data, with sleep or actually anything else. What I was struggling to work out is how to get that level of kind of um, well, all I've got is the raw data. I don't quite know what to do with it and make it into nice graphs. I guess I need to find a, a data analyst to, to work it all out. I'm pretty sure if you go to fiverr.com, <laughs> like, 
it, it's relatively yeah. <laughs> basic Excel stuff you could do. Uh, so that's probably yeah. like not a not a terribly expensive uh, virtual assistant kind of task. Um, but it would uh, it, it'd be pretty cool to have the reports because the raw data, unless you're trained at analyzing it, it's actually not that easy to analyze. I actually am mm. trained, as in I went to business school ten years ago, which means essentially I'm not trained because I'm not a data analyst. I, I'm familiar with the terms. Uh, I've done work with big data, but uh, it's it's not necessary uh, unless you're going to get into a certain level of statistical analysis, and then you need to understand, you know, was it statistically uh, relevant? You know, what was their importance? Was p less than 0.001? And for that kind of stuff, if you're working with even like a basic four-year trained statistician, uh, which you can get very very affordably online, uh, you, you can you can get what you need without spending more than fifty. I think quid, but I'm pretty sure that I don't know the exchange rate of quid to bucks. <laughs> um, uh, but you know just going back to the basic theory of doing what works this is why i love it and if someone's listening and thinking well there was a time about six months ago when i was really kicking ass and everything was going really well in my uh-huh. life and now it's not going quite so well in theory if you've got this data going back six months or more you can go back check mm-hmm. your data and remember oh yeah that's when i was meditating every day or working out every day or, or whatever it might be and, and that's quite exciting from an NLP perspective in terms of um, modeling your own success. It, it gets a little weird, too, because you can become obsessed with what you track, right? Like, if you look at the history of cholesterol research, like, oh, look, we can measure cholesterol because it's easy. So they started tracking that, and sort of the entire medical community got down this cholesterol rat hole where, oh, yeah, we thought it mattered, and now it really doesn't and so it, it, it's been yeah. like billions of people's behavior has been affected by really the same mistake of well um, tracking what you can measure instead of tracking what matters which was inflammation it turns out they just couldn't measure inflammation mm-hmm. very well um, just just one other aspect of um, tracking that I, I'm interested in asking you about is um, I use one of the jawbones one of the original jawbone oh, yeah. ones to track to, to track my I had sleep. one of those yeah um, and I would like to get something a little bit more sophisticated, but the reason I downgraded to the Jawbone One is that's pretty much the only tracking device that you can get that doesn't have Bluetooth. I on. know. Now, most of these most of these devices, you can't switch the Bluetooth off. And in terms of kind of you know reducing EMFs and reducing toxins in in your body, um, what do you think about wearing something emitting a very small kind of r- radiation? Um, 24 hours a day, what do you think about wearing Bluetooth right on, on the screen? This is a really interesting question, and, and I think a lot of people listening are, are interested in this as well, right? There's a group of people who say, look, I have my phone turned on right next to my head and when I go to bed, and there's pretty good evidence that that's not a good idea, right? Mm. It, it, there's, there's some thermal effects that are very small, in other words, like, like the microwave oven cooking thing, but that's not really the analogy. It's more about scrambling a signal. More like when your cell phone goes near a speakerphone and you hear the buzzing, like you know there's something happening there. And yeah. there are enough studies uh, in, for me that I don't hold the cell phone up to my head. I don't hold a, uh, I don't sleep with a cell phone turned on in the room. It, there's just no need to do that. Besides, I wanted to sleep. Why did I want people to be able to call me? Like, <laughs> it just makes sense from a sleep quality perspective. <laughs> but I do sleep with my phone in airplane mode. Uh, which helps to, to do tracking for me. And a phone in airplane mode has very little EMF with it. So I, mm. I'm comfortable doing that. But the idea of having a Bluetooth signal on, uh, 
is Bluetooth better for you than a cell phone signal or Wi-Fi signal? Definitely. I would say, assuming that any of those is bad for you, which is an assumption that I'm willing to make. I think that the jury's still out, but I don't think that they're provably harmless right now either. So I'm concerned about EMF. When I put EMF filters in, I've had clients who sleep better every single night because of less dirty electrical emanations. Emanations. So basically there's stuff going on there and it needs more science and there's a big industry that doesn't want there to be more science because they'll have to re-engineer everything to make it compatible with our biology. So that's all going to happen or not over the next 50 years. But um, let's assume right now we're going to protect ourselves. So then you want to track your sleep. There's three solutions that work for tracking your sleep that don't require Bluetooth and I'm not a fan of Bluetooth. Uh, because I, I don't mind Bluetooth during the day and, and when I need it, but I don't want to just like be bathing in Bluetooth 24-7 because, frankly, let's mm. do it to 10 generations of, of mice or something and see what happens. I, I just don't think it's been that well tested. And I say this having been the CTO of one of the wristband companies. Um, um, based, really? Yeah, Basis, the wristband tracker that Intel bought for $100 million. I was uh, CTO yeah. and co-founder of the U.S. company for a little while. It turned out their their technology wasn't where I thought it was when I joined. So I was only there for you know several months after I left venture capital. But it was uh, it was a really interesting time to to dig in on that. I was also involved with the first stick on Bluetooth hospital grade um, heart rate monitor back in two thousand three. So I've been looking like how do we safely get a signal off the body for a long time? And Bluetooth is a relatively small risk, and I'm totally fine to use it when you get big benefits. But sleeping with it every night to get a little bit of data is not a good idea in, in my mind. So you could do, do the jawbone thing, the first generation. I, I found the user interface on that was incredibly annoying, and it was too much work. Um, I just didn't get a lot out of it, so I lost it, uh, like, which happens to most of those things. Um, the other one you can do is you can run an app on your iPhone. There's a bunch of apps that now track your sleep, and, or there's Android apps as well. They use the microphone or the accelerometer, and they tell you what's going on. The, the gold standard for that, and I don't know if they still make it, um, is Bedit. And Bedit was at the conference. I had a, a Bedit Pro, which allowed you to plug it into an Ethernet connection. So this was running on my bed. You could actually get heart rate variability information while you sleep. The way coolest thing I've ever seen. You put this piece of yeah. tape on your mattress, but they gave me a replacement because it stopped working when they changed their infrastructure or something. Um, and they gave me a replacement, and it's Bluetooth. And I'm like, I don't want the Bluetooth one. I want oh. the one with Ethernet. Yeah. So I don't know if they still make the Ethernet one. It was, it was more expensive and, and all that, but that would be the gold standard. I just don't have that one anymore. So what I do now, I put my phone, my alarm clock uses the microphone on the phone, and it's, it tracks my sleep using the microphone. The data isn't great, but it's, it's definitely good enough. And it has the added benefit of waking you during the height of a sleep cycle. So I don't want to be jolted out of sleep. I'd rather wake up, if I'm going to wake up at 7 a.m., I'd rather wake up at 6.40 at the top of a sleep cycle than wake up at 7 a.m. when I'm in deep sleep and feel groggy all day. So that's kind of a really long answer to the question, but um, that, that's my thoughts on it. No, it's interesting. It's, it's something that I've been kind of grappling with for a while, and I, I, I think the, the jawbone can do that as well in terms of um, mm-hmm. waking you up at the top of your sleep cycle. Yeah. Um, I, For a number of reasons, I haven't got involved in, in one of the Apple Watches, um, but being a huge fan of, of Apple products, I, and I was interested in it, but... I presume that uses Bluetooth as well. It does use Bluetooth, and I have an Apple Watch. Um, I think it's on my desk. <laughs> the, the fact that it's not on my wrist, my, in, in terms of, yeah. I was all excited, but uh, I didn't get great value from the heart rate monitoring stuff. It was uh, yeah. the same technology that we used at Basis, or very, very similar technology. But it, 
it as a health tracking watch, it, it didn't leave me astounded. So it had me pick up my phone a little bit less. So if your phone's not on you because it's in the room and your watch is on you, you might have a reduction in radiation that's totally worth it. It's really hard to say. At, at, at a certain point, you're sitting in a room with a Wi-Fi antenna anyway. Like you're probably not. <laughs> you're probably not in a low EMF yeah. environment unless you designed it that way. That's true. Um, well, I have installed one of those two quid timers that switch, switches the Wi-Fi off at night. And I did also email, no, I tweeted Jawbone, I, I think, and said, uh, oh, in your next wristband, can you um, at least have a switch where you could switch off the um, Bluetooth? And they got back to me saying they, they'd consider all the customers' feedback. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah, good, good luck on that one. Uh, it, yeah. it's, it, it's an interesting trick and, and one that a couple of guests have talked about. And one group of people will put uh, a timer on their Wi-Fi so it just turns off at midnight, which is part of disconnecting. Like now I can't do Facebook unless I get up and I go mess with the system. Uh, and that's, I think, uh, kind of a getting control of, of bad habits and changing your electromagnetic environment. By the way, you will sleep better if your head is not right next to a Wi-Fi antenna. Like it really does affect sleep. You, you can tell that pretty easily for most people. Mm. But the other group of people does what I do. And um, in my last house, I had a lamp cord from Ikea, mm. which is uh, basically has a little switch to turn off a lamp, Right. And I just plugged the Wi-Fi into that. So before bed, you brush your teeth, hit the switch, and the Wi-Fi turns off, and you can use it as late as you want. Either one of those is just a, a good habit to have. Uh, in, uh, in my house now, uh, when we were remodeling, I had the electricians put in a switched outlet. So there's like a, a switch next to the light switch for, that turn the, turns the lights on that's like the Wi-Fi switch. And then your Wi-Fi on, off, it's very convenient. Where this doesn't work is if you have a bunch of stuff connected um, to the internet that you want to leave connected, especially if you have wired devices like I do. So you have a separate Wi-Fi box, not just the one that came from your cable company. So you get internet through one router and Wi-Fi on one that's on a switch. And that, that for me, that was kind of the ideal situation. So I could still be syncing Dropbox from my desktop machine, but I could get I could go to sleep without it. All we need is for the next 900 days, we need you to track your sleep with the Wi-Fi on <laughs> and then we're yeah. off and then report back right. in three good, years' time. Good luck with that. <laughs> well, I, I want to ask you about some stuff in your books. You talk about decluttering and decluttering is all the rage because of the secret magic life, the secret, the life-changing power of tidying up, uh, which is the most insane book in that it sold like seven kabillion copies on the New York Times list. Like it's blown away almost every other book on the list in the last months. And people just keep buying it. And uh, Joe Polish, a guy who runs uh, the Genius Network, this big group of entrepreneurs um, who are working to change the world, he, um, he gave it to me in a box of stuff. And I was, I was like, really? Like this lady's telling me how to fold my socks. Uh, like it, is it is it that important? But it, it turns out the whole book is about decluttering, and it really, uh, it really gave me some food for thought. And then I find out that you're talking a lot about, you know, the Da Vinci's secret to success and decluttering. So walk me through your perspective, which is different than that, but it, it's it's all the rage. Everyone wants to declutter. So tell tell me how you do this with an yeah. NLP spin on it. Well, the concept of decluttering or simplifying is is ancient. You know, Lao Tzu um, wrote about decluttering uh, all those years ago. <laughs> um, my perspective on de decluttering is um, it's almost more a kind of online declutter than a physical declutter. Um, you know, there's some amazing research. They reckon many people now 
spend more time gazing into screens than they do into the eyes of people every day. That's a really scary thought when you think that you spend more time looking at a kind of, you know, the dull blue glow of your device than you do, you know, gazing into the eyes of a, of a unpredictable, exciting human being every day. I was, um, so was going to get a doll that had two iPhones for eyes so I could tell my body I was... I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Um, so, and, you know, I think I, I realized this a, a few years ago, actually. I, I, you know, things like walking down the street seeing a sunset on a beautiful winter's day here in London and rather just appreciating the sunset for what it was, um, thinking, what Instagram filter could I put on that, you know? <laughs> and I think a lot of people would, would feel the same way, especially about when you, when you go out, when you're on holiday, for example, you're thinking more about how you'd represent that holiday to your friends rather than actually experiencing the holiday itself. So one of the kind of simple tools that I came up with was escaping the screens for a couple of hours a day. And I originally just developed this for myself, um, but now I kind of use it with the clients and the people who take my programs as well. And that would be um, for a couple of hours each day, switching everything off and, well, you know, preferably going outside, but doing all the things which we love most in this world. Not many of them actually involve a screen, whether it's, you know, hanging out with friends, uh, eating, relaxing, sex, whatever it might be, most of them don't involve screens. And if sex does involve screens for you, then you may want to think about it. I I was just thinking, I think screens can be involved in all of those. I'm sure there's like a Kellogg's gluten application for the (laughs) iPhone to increase your gluten intake every day uh, with extra GMO crunchies on top. Yeah. Um, Um, And that's one of the things that I track every, every day, actually. You know, how many hours I've switched off for. Minimum of two. Often it's now, do you track more. this on a screen? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. At the end of the at the end of the day, but but I will have switched off for at least two hours before All I right. track it. I can respect um, that. Yeah, I do a mixture of tracking, writing stuff down, and tracking on on this on a screen as well. Because I think in terms of at the end of the day, there is something to be said. You know, one of the things we do in NLP is we look at the different ways that we experience the world, and the three main ways would be visual. Um, auditory and kinesthetic, so touchy-feely, the way that we kind of experience things. And when you write something down as opposed to typing something into a computer or a smartphone, I feel like it really accesses all those three senses really well. Um, you know, the, the the visual act of seeing the words that you're writing down. Auditory, you're, you're telling yourself the words to write down. But then the kinesthetic, you're holding a pen and you get that feeling of writing something down, um, which I think is slightly more powerful than typing something into a computer. Certainly is for me. I'm probably, I, I like to think I'm on the cutting edge, but I could just be a, a bit of a, a naysayer here. I've, I agreed with everything that you're saying there. I, I even like the kinesthetic feeling of writing with good quality paper and writing with a pen that doesn't suck. So I have this Montegrippa mm. celluloid pen made by monks and, and all this stuff. And so for, for my, my journaling, I was like really doing it because it has to feel right when you do it. And for a while before that, I, I had my own computer since I was eight. There aren't a lot of people in their 40s who did that. My first computer was pre-DOS, uh, you know, pre-Microsoft, pre-all that stuff, uh, because my dad worked in IT. So I had the you know, hand-me-down, uh, tiny green screen that weighed 50 pounds kind of thing. And I learned on that. And it's, it's really strange uh, because I feel like I have the, the connection through the typewriter. And I've done personal growth work on, on a laptop where they're like, you can't do it. I'm like, you don't understand. That's how my brain works. But I switched it to pens from computers, and there is a difference. 
However, I've switched since then also to, to using Siri. Right? The power of the written word versus the spoken word, I believe that if you sit there and you say your whatever you are going to write in your journal, but you speak the words, that the kinesthetic vibration from speaking and actually making a sound trumps writing it down on paper. You just couldn't translate it into words, but now you can. So like the new, new thing is you dictate what you want. What do you think about that? Um, I'm, I'm not a fan. <laughs> All right, that's cool. <laughs> um, because I would say that, because I you do use Siri quite a bit for kind of, you know, notes and just sending mm -hmm. messages to people when I can't be bothered to type it out. The one thing that I notice is that quality control um, is, or I would say quality control would increase when you're writing something down. So if you're writing in a book at the end of the day, and I do do that every day, um, I think you'd think more about what you're going to put if you're actually committing it down you know, because because you're using the pen made by monks and you're, you, it's a nice kind of notebook which you'll keep for posterity. And the other thing, I guess, is that when you're saving something in Siri, where, do, where does it end up going? You know, it's, it's nice to have a book. I've got a, a, a kind of shelf down here with books that, you know, I've been writing every evening for the last four or five years. And so I, it just feels a bit more special. But definitely <laughs> using Siri would be better than nothing. I, I, um, I agree with you on, on the archival value of having your handwritten stuff. And, and there, when you touch it, like I have my journals from Tibet when I discovered this yak butter tea thing. Not that I discovered mm. yak butter tea. I'm pretty sure it existed for thousands of years. But when I personally like was like, oh, look, this is my discovery of it. Um, uh, I, I do have those journals, and when you like see them and touch them and see the words, it does bring back memories that probably looking at you know some Siri things on a cloud somewhere oh, never will. And so you have a very sound point there. Mm. And but yeah. in terms of decluttering, right, so now you have a, a, a bunch of journals on on the, the shelf, but those are probably the things that you would want to keep. Um, what are the other decluttering things that we can do um, aside from writing things down with with your screen off, mm. which is cool? Yeah, well, I mean, you know it. it simplifying your life in terms of technology i think is massively yeah. important he says as he as he checks <laughs> as he checks a message <laughs> you forget you've got this posh new studio i can see i know going but on. what's going on here is my phone is vibrating and annoying annoying me because i didn't put it in airplane mode so i'm not actually mm. checking a message i'm putting it on but i'm so glad this has happened <laughs> because it illustrates my point perfectly um i don't know if you've heard of linda stone the writer who mm. talks about continuous partial attention uh, what, what were you um, and how what were you how talking I, about <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I've heard of Linda Stone. I haven't read her stuff yeah. yet, though. It's a really nice concept, this, this uh, continuous partial attention. And how us human beings are really not built to multitask. We're not very good at it. And we've got so many demands on our time and attention now. It's like having, you know, a million windows open yeah. on your computer at once. There's just something kind of stressful about it. Mm -hmm. um, so by decluttering, when you start to, you know, close those windows switch off then you start to you start to be able to kind of devote your full attention to one thing at a time um and you know recently i i spoke at a um an nlp conference here in the uk and i asked the audience uh who here first thing in the morning um checked your phone this morning yeah. and at least 80 percent of people said yes and i i wasn't surprised at all um because i used to do that until fairly recently yeah, it's bad actually, for you about a year ago <laughs> yeah it is because you start your day on someone else's agenda rather than your own. Um, and especially if you're someone who works in, in a kind of creative field, all of a sudden you get sucked into the, the black vortex, the mire of email, and you can't climb out again. And your brain is thinking about that slightly annoying message that you received from someone 
instead of the big picture of, you know, what needs to be done during the day. So simplifying and decluttering for me really is um, about using technology to your advantage, not denying the fact that it exists or not denying the fact that it can really help us. And obviously um, people listening who are biohackers know that. But just, yeah, just regulating its use a little bit more by um, doing a kind of digital declutter. There's a couple of interesting things we can unpack in what you just talked about there, right? There's, okay, doing many things at once is a problem, right? So, so you're defocused but busy. Then there's, okay, the solution to that is focus. So I've got my days down to every 15 minutes are orchestrated by two of my EAs. And people are like, how can you do so much you know, bulletproof and you're writing books and you're doing a radio show and, and you've got coffee and coffee shops? And I'm like, you know what? I've built incredible efficiency into my life where I, I minimize my decision making. But what I learned from doing all that is that actually focus is also toxic. Right? So I can focus all day, every day, and I have enough energy in my brain for the first time in my life where I can do that and I'm not going to just hit the wall. Right? The problem is that hugely valuable things happen in your brain when you're not focusing and you're not defocused. Right? It's like the passive mode in the brain where creativity and intuition come from. So I had to finally start, this is a recent thing for me, I just start like scheduling time in to do nothing. Because if I don't do that, then all the good thoughts where I'm like, oh wait, yeah, that, I, I guess I could do that. And all the, the good stuff doesn't happen even though I'm executing, I'm not creating. Right? And, and that's really a mm. tough one. Do you have any NLP tricks for that? Um, well, it's really interesting you said that, actually, because, you know, once I, over the last couple of years, I had to reappraise my priorities a bit once I spent three months in bed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but by the way, chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, toxic mold poisoning, all those things I had. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. Okay. So, so we both yeah. did this. Tell me more. Yeah. And then, you know, going back to kind of Sky Sports one day a week and, and really worrying that I'd be able to get yeah. through it. And um, that voice in my head was pretty loud when I first yes. went back. Um, so in terms of now my priorities, are one of my biggest priorities in life is to enjoy the journey much more than I ever did before. The problem is now that I'm back to full health, that Taipei personality fights. It, you know, it, it wants to take charge again. And, you know, we, we obviously spoken about the, the, the similarities between many biohackers and Taipei personalities in terms of high, high achievement. I definitely schedule quite long periods of my day when I don't do very much. But then I find that either meditating or self-hypnosis gets me back into that state. I mean, if, I'll do, if I do self-hypnosis, I did it a couple of hours before we spoke today. And I felt like I'd had an hour and a half sleep afterwards. I felt utterly refreshed. And beforehand, you know, there were a couple of things that I was, you know, I was thinking about a lot of things um, emails and then obviously this interview and I was thinking oh well you know does the light need to be on because it's it's dark here and that kind of thing and then I did some self-hypnosis and I found that I was just kind of more relaxed more chilled and more me um, and for many people that that might take the form of meditation or trance or even prayer but having some kind of period in the middle of the day when you can just step back and do nothing is so important. And so I do that every day. Um, awesome. And I would encourage people listening to, to hear those words and, and realize, okay, like it, you're not a bad person if you have an hour of unscheduled time where you're just going to do whatever. But if whatever is clicking around on Facebook, it's probably not actually <laughs> that beneficial. Well, that's the yeah. problem, isn't it? Because, and, and even, you know, with the best intentions, I often find myself doing that similar kind of thing. You know, it's, we think when we're chilling out after a long day, 
sitting on a sofa looking at Facebook is, you know, a good thing for relaxing our brain. But if you look at our brain waves, they are in high beta when you're scrolling down, you know, in one minute you might read 20 different statuses, 30 different statuses, mm -hmm. and your brain has to be in pretty high beta to kind of deal with all that information. There is, I think in a lot of people, a stress response. And I, I gave a talk in, in Malmo, Sweden, uh, several years ago about like digital overload. And because I was like the first guy to sell anything over the internet, like I sold a caffeine t-shirt out of my dorm room when I was in my very early 20s, it was an entrepreneur magazine. It was like, it turns out this was like the first e-commerce, even though we didn't call it that back then. Um, so, so I was really addicted to the internet even though I think everyone is now, but I, I would feel this like I was going to die if my email went down. And in the early days, your email went down like every five days, something would happen. Mm. And uh, so it was just like end of the world. And, and I would physically have anxiety and stress and, and things like that. So you, you look at, at the little voices in your head, the little stress responses that people have to technology. And, and I look at where it is now after 10 weeks of intensive neurofeedback doing the, the 40 years of Zen alpha brainwave training stuff that I do, whether or not I have that information or not, watching my sympathetic nervous system, there isn't the, the core sense of doom or threat or that other stuff. Like I, I could look at the Facebook status updates, I could have messages, I can have messages, but I don't have the stress levels that I did. I still don't check my email first thing in the morning, it's bad for you, right? But it feels like the biological cost of having all of these information things comes in, comes in can be dramatically reduced using mm. probably self-hypnosis, probably meditation, and certainly using neurofeedback. You, you literally, your body's like, I guess I'm not gonna die if I do or don't look at Facebook today. But most people have a little voice in the back of their head that's like, if you don't look at Facebook, you won't know what's going on. If you don't know what's going on, something might eat you, or whatever the internal wiring is. But <laughs> it's like, I have to do it, and it's a core survival <laughs> drive. Is there like an NLP mantra or something that, that I should be using or that people listening should be using in order to just actually be a little less stressed about technology? Um, well, mantras can help. They'd be called affirmations yeah. in, uh, in NLP terms. You know, when Bart Simpson wrote, wrote on, the, on the chalkboard, I will not be naughty a hundred times. <laughs> um, that works a little bit. But if you start to use some kind of self-hypnosis, um, where you kind of take yourself into a, a slightly more relaxed state. And if you use a guided hypnosis where someone's um, giving you some suggestions in that uh, so that your unconscious mind can start to change the way that you feel about anything that's affecting you negatively, that would be a little bit more powerful. Okay. But yeah, affirmations can work as well if you tell yourself something positive. But by the way, I'm telling yourself, I will not be naughty anymore <laughs> um, is, is, is a negative suggestion. You want to phrase it in the positive, and, and that's something that we look at with the linguistic element of NLP, you know, phrasing things in a positive, what we call a well-formed outcome. As a matter of fact, would you go into that a little bit more? This drives me insane. I'm very careful with language, and if you say the word not, your brain doesn't hear that in an affirmation. It only hears what, what, what comes after it. Talk about that dynamic, because I, I fully think half the people listening to this who have affirmations or things they, they say to themselves are saying them in a negative tone or, or negative, whatever, they're phrasing it negatively. They don't necessarily understand the incredible harm that does. So give me the full story on this, because it really matters for people. Mm. It's like when you say someone's 
um, obviously not happy about something and you say, don't worry. <laughs> and their brain hears the word worry. Or to give you a better example that might make you realize the power of language and how it's used. And this is, I mean, I guess this is NLP 101, but it's, it's definitely worth emphasizing. Um, if you were to say to a small child drinking a milkshake, don't blow on that straw, <laughs> um, you know, because the milkshake will go all over the place. What's the, what's the one thing they're going to do? Um, if I ask you now, don't think of a blue elephant. You have to think about a blue elephant in order to not think of the blue elephant. So um, changing your self-talk to think about things positively is really important. And I love looking at companies who've not quite grasped this, um, this um, theory. There's a company over here that sells car insurance, and they have the worst name in the world. They're called confused.com. <laughs> It, um, when I think of confused.com, I feel confused just thinking about the company. There's, <laughs> I, I'll probably get in trouble for saying this, but, but there's another company who has the, this basic motto, don't be evil. You know which company that is? That is. You know who that is? No. It's Google. Who is it? <laughs> the founders of Google. Is that that? Uh, Larry and Sergey. Since, so Google's first servers were in the, the Exodus data centers, the company uh, where I, I was a founder yeah. of the consulting group there. So, like, since the very early days, these are amazing guys, right? But their, their sort of motto is, no matter what we're doing, don't be evil. But when you phrase things in the negative, what your brain hears is the second part. And, uh, you know, I, I think Google's done some amazing stuff. But, man, they have the potential to be evil, and their motto <laughs> is don't be evil. And this is where, you know, a lot, of, um, a lot of people kind of trained in linguistics will work with companies to just improve their mm -hmm. message like um, be be good is is what to tell yourself. Don't good. tell yourself yeah. to don't be evil because you'll turn into Darth Vader. Like that's just how we're wired. At least that's what I believe. Yeah, I'm I'm absolutely sure that the guys who run Confused.com wish daily <laughs> that they had a better name. <laughs> um, because you know, I mean, if I was to tell you about Confused.com and I hadn't told you it was a car insurance company first, you wouldn't know what it was. Yeah. And even now, I'm not quite sure in my head if it is car insurance they sell, but I think it is. <laughs> yeah, wow. I, I would never choose that. I mean, it's, re it's memorable, but just because something's memorable doesn't mean that you want to remember it. Mm -hmm. and, and I guess when I'm, you know, when I'm working with a client or someone one-on-one, -on -one, and they say, well, I don't want to do this anymore. That's the, that's the first thing you'd look at, look at. And you'd say, well, what do you want? Okay. Let's talk about alpha state. Uh, we're, we're getting up on the end of the show, mm. but tell me a little yeah. bit about what you do with alpha states, how you access them, what they are. Well, alpha state is something that's obviously popped up on your show many yeah. times before. And the, the brain has, you know, four brainwave states that we operate at. And we are able to, to measure that. And increasingly, so we're able to, to measure it quite affordably. And kind of beta is a high level, normal waking state. But beta is also when we're, when we're quite stressed, you know, or, or when the adrenaline's pumping. And alpha is a different state. It's kind of light meditation. It's kind of flow state. It's relaxation. And it's a state where we can get more creative, start to make changes, or simply start to relax. I think that's one of the things about many of the NLP techniques that we use. Um, hypnosis can make changes at a deep unconscious level by changing the way that your unconscious mind thinks about things. But also just by getting into a hypnotic or altered state or a meditative state of whatever kind you call it, it's just nice. It's just more relaxing and you take yourself into more of an alpha state. So 
Um, I realized when I was ill and I'd spent, th- you know, I'd been in the jungle and I would got this virus and I would spent three months in bed that I had to take myself out of fight or flight, which is high beta and take myself into alpha far more. And that's why I started doing the tapping mm-hmm. loads and loads of NLP and hypnosis, which really helped and everything else like, you know, um, <laughs> gentle yoga, not Bikram yoga, by the way, but, you know, gentle yoga classes to really bring my fight or flight response under control, bring down my cortisol levels. And hypnosis does that really well. So um, I think the other really exciting thing about technology, I know we've spoken about escaping the screens Mm -hmm. quite a bit, but in terms of, I think it's only about five or 10 years ago, to get an EEG, which would measure your brainwave states, would cost about ten thousand pounds for a machine. I've had mine. My I've had an EEG since nineteen ninety seven. Why did I even <laughs> doubt the fact that you'd have an EEG machine? <laughs> um, and now you can get a Muse headband, mm-hmm. which you know costs costs a couple of hundred pounds. And I have got one. And the Muse is actually open source technology, isn't it? Um, is it? But I think there's 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 yeah there's two apps at the moment. There's the Muse main app, which doesn't really give you it doesn't give you the feedback that you want if you want to know when you're in a beta state or when you're in an alpha state. But someone has brought out an iPhone app just recently i haven't tried it yet which will give you an exact readout apparently oh. of when your brain's in beta and when it's well, that, in alpha and when it's in theta that's and so on. interesting that there's so much mm. going on here i have been looking at just the various uh, various ways there because it's not enough to say it's in alpha or in beta because there are well there's all these broadman's areas that you might want to have there you might want to have beta in the front or sorry uh, alpha in the front alpha in the back and the pattern that, that I train is to have alpha start in the back and move to the front of the head that's uh, coherent. So both halves of the brain are doing it at the same time. And doing like the 40 years of Zen training, I've managed to just about quadruple the height of my alpha wave. So the size of the wave, you know, like if normally you're used to having a, a nice wave you could surf, I'm like tidal waves coming in here. Um, and that's changed my performance in, in lots of levels. And the concern I have is that the knowledge to to know where to train the state of the brain is still in its infancy. And you can take a healthy brain and you can train it to have PTSD in two hours. Literally, someone who was not traumatized can have anxiety if you train the wrong things. So the more Mm. we look at neurofeedback and like the more powerful I'm convinced it becomes, uh, the more I'm, I'm interested in it, but also the more I'm like, wow, you could really cause great harm. And for the kind of consumer grade technologies out there, those look relatively safe because you're kind of getting a very weak signal that's like, okay, is it more beta or more alpha? But you're not doing this part is alpha and this part's beta. You know, you're not getting some of the precise combinations. Yeah, and, and I guess you know what what will be good is once more um, applications for this technology come out, it's how you can read this data and then improve it yeah. and kind of learn to relax at, at the same time. And it's not just. Um, it's not just these machines re- measuring brain waves. For instance, you know the heart rate variability stuff that I know that yeah. you use, and I've been using that for quite a while with my clients as well. Um, I don't use it that much now, you don't actually. Have to. But just get, yeah, but getting that feedback, it's really exciting when you can when you can see that the lines smooth out and it increase in depth. It's you know oh, it actually works. This stuff. It it's pretty amazing so so you've you've gone through all this and and what i i find fascinating is that you really got down this path because you had uh, uh, something go wrong in the jungle and what a lot of people don't recognize is that biotoxins trigger anxiety right like this is the reason that to this day if i drink a moldy cup of coffee uh 
I feel usually about two to four hours later, I, I get anxiety. I, I get a sugar craving and, and I'm like, ah, like I, I can feel it. And I know very much what it is. Like it's not my anxiety. Like it's a sense of impending doom. It's a biological anxiety. And so when you're getting a, a flare up of whatever the virus that you caught in the jungle was, or many other people, you know, they don't understand that the meal they ate exposed them to an allergen, like a food they're allergic to, which caused a biological stress response. And all of the stress responses, mm-hmm. right, they suppress alpha. And what you learned to do and what I learned to do with breathing, meditation, self-hypnosis, uh, progressive relaxation, tapping, all these various modalities of biohacking that allow you to have more control of your biology, all of them are about raising alpha back up. Because when you raise alpha... You change your heart rate variability, which cuts off the sympathetic stress response, right? So something in the environment or something in our bodies made the stress levels go up. And instead of just being victims of that, which is what we've kind of all been taught to do, we're like, no, screw that noise. I'm going to hack it. And then you bring it back down using, I would consider EFT as a technology. NLP is a technology. Like mm-hmm. these are things, tools, techniques, whether they're digital or not, doesn't matter, that we evolved as a as a, a society, and we we transmit through teaching so that other people can use the technologies to get more biological control. So you figured it out because you had a, a dire need. I weighed three hundred pounds. My brain was falling apart, and I was an entrepreneur who wasn't going to keep being an entrepreneur. I had a dire need. I think half the people that you met or who you met at the conference had a dire need at some point in their life, and it could have been they were just in miserable, bad relationships. They, their biology didn't fall apart. They just had adrenal fatigue, which is pretty bad. Other people had serious health conditions. There was a person there, you know, half of her face was paralyzed after a surgery, and she was a model, uh, right? And and she's walking around. She still looks like a model, right? But it, it was a huge amount of work and effort and healing. So I don't know. I, I feel inspired by this because the stuff you're doing came about from a pretty ugly situation. You're like, I feel like crap. I can't work in my job at TV. My face is, is really numb. And here you are now. You've gained all that knowledge, right? Uh, and for every person like you who shares that knowledge, there's probably another 10,000 people who are sitting around going, you know, <laughs> I feel like crap right now and there's nothing I can do. So when you go out there and you say this is what you can do, you're actually helping huge numbers of people not go through all the crap you went through. And so thanks for doing that, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a real passion for me to kind of share it. And, you know, since I've started doing the podcast, the amount of people I speak to who have some some kind of low level medical problem. everyone <laughs> it's not something it's going to take to the it's not something that's going to take them to hospital but it's something that's causing them significant anxiety yeah. um and you know young healthy people in their 20s and 30s who should be in the prime of their life taking time off work because of some kind of stress complaint that they can't quite put their finger on or just not getting enough sleep or an unexplained rash or whatever it might be um it's amazing how many people kind of mention these type of low level symptoms to me and um, how I think a lot of it can be um, improved by looking at the kind of things that we've spoken about and especially getting getting into the alpha state because the first response when you start to get ill is massively get into fight or flight mode. And of course, now we've got Dr. Google to help us as well. By the way, that doesn't help your symptoms at all. <laughs> you know, perhaps a brief considered look at what the problem might be might help. But if you're spending hours trying to find the answer, hours at a time, like I was, and the answer still isn't appearing and you carry on Googling, that's just elevating your fight or flight response massively and you're you know, producing more cortisol and just feeling worse about the whole thing. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. You don't want to give up if you haven't found the solution, but uh, I would say Google for an hour, figure out the likely solution, 
try it for a couple of weeks, <laughs> then go back and do it versus mm. immerse. So. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, you know that we're going to come up on this question that comes up at the, the end of every podcast, and we're at the end of, our, of the time we've got. So I'm hoping you didn't prepare ahead of time, but maybe you did. If someone came to you tomorrow and said, look, I want to kick ass at everything I do. I want to perform better at being human. What are the top three most important things I could do or no? Um, well, I did prepare ahead of time, <laughs> but I'm going to change the first right. one based on what we were just saying. I think the first thing and almost the key to life, certainly for me, is acceptance and letting go. And if you're a, a type A personality, if you're a listener to Bulletproof Radio and you're someone who's you know really keen on controlling every aspect of of your life you can't control everything you can plan as much as possible but after that the ability to kind of simply let go and accept what happens means that you can live in the moment and I I, I'm it's a work in progress for me but um but it's beautiful when I get it right which is sometimes um the second thing would definitely be escaping the screens you know that that thing I mentioned earlier on about how um, people often gaze more into a computer screen than they do into the eyes of people on a daily basis. That's just crazy when you think about the evolution of man, how long we've had computers and how long we've had smart devices. So switching off for a couple of hours a day and definitely not looking at your phone before breakfast. And the third thing is, it's a regular theme on my podcast, definitely, and that, and that is some kind of meditative pr- practice. Um, we've spoken about meditation quite a bit and We've spoken about self-hypnosis a lot, although we haven't necessarily gone into the specifics of um, how it could make changes and how the conscious mind can only think of, you know, around seven things at once. But the unconscious mind looks after all the things that you aren't focusing on right now, like uh, breathing, for example, or or blinking. Um, And self-hypnosis can make a real difference by occupying the mind, taking it into a, a different place and then putting some nice little suggestions in there. So if you want more on self-hypnosis, you can obviously check me out online. And there are loads of great hypnotherapists and hypnotists out there. Or meditation as well is awesome. And and Emily Fletcher spoke at the biohacking conference. I learned some meditation from her on her online course. And that's been fantastic for me. I love that as well. So just something that helps you to um, create some downtime to deal with all the uptime that we have during the day. Well, that's a, an awesome set of three answers. And where can people find out more about your work? So give me your URLs. You have like books and you have all kinds of stuff. So give me like the, the master two or three URLs people can remember. We'll put all these in the show notes, of course. Thanks, Dave. Um, well, my website is tonywrighton.com. That's uh, T-O-M-Y-W-R-I-G-H-T-O-N.com. Uh, and the podcast is Zestology with a Z. And that's on iTunes. And you can Google it and you'll find it. Awesome. Thanks for being on the show, and I look forward to meeting. I'll be out in the UK. We're teaching some more of the Bulletproof Coach training. Oh, good. Out, I want to say, actually, I forget what month, but uh, for, for people who are, are interested in being executive coaches, uh, we're doing a February training in New York, and I think so it must be like May sometime out in the UK, so I should be out there. Uh, maybe there's a chance for us to hook up. Yeah, that'd be great. Can you open a coffee shop here as well? Give me time. <laughs> there is another uh, another brand chain of coffee shops selling something similar to what you do but quite different at the same time so we could do with it uh most most definitely there's a there's a lot of coffee places in the uk great coffee culture and um when you when you get the full lab tested beans it, it changes the physiological stress response and that's what it's all about yeah awesome definitely talk to you soon thanks dave thank you if you enjoyed today's episode 
Uh, I'd love it if you went over to iTunes or Podcast One and just uh, click the little box that says, I love this show, it's amazing, it changed my life. As a matter of fact, it's the coolest show ever, or something along those lines. Basically, let someone else know that it's really good. And if you were interested in what we talked about with Alpha Brainwaves, you might want to check out 40yearsofzen.com. This is a thing that I do with some high-end CEOs. Uh, warning, it is expensive. This is not a source of, of profits for me, but it is a way that I'm able to share uh, with uh, people who are ready the most impactful thing I've ever done out of all my biohacks. So it's, uh, it's a lot, but it's, uh, it's changed my life more than anything else I've done. So uh, if that's of interest to you, that's the other thing that we talked about on the show today that, that may be interesting. Uh, there are many other more affordable ways to get some results. I just don't know another way to get those results more quickly. Otherwise, I would never talk about something that pricey. Have an awesome day. Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.